Stay golden. Hurricane. Welcome back to the Golden Hurricast. We are a weekly podcast covering Golden Hurricane Athletics at the University of Tulsa. I'm Ryan Token. I'm Matt Rectine, and it has been a difficult day to stay awake after all the excitement from last night, um, which I think was kind of a, a nice change of pace based on how this the earlier part of the weekend went. Um, I'm just thinking about the two-lane game. I'm thinking about soccer it's just kind of a not great start to the weekend, a little boring, a lot of not favorable results, but it kind of ended on, I think with a little bit of a bang on, on Monday with, you know, the women's team getting their win in dominating fashion and the men having an incredibly exciting first half uh, <laughs> before I went to bed. And so for all intents and purposes, the men's team won last night and I will take no other answer. And why would you? Yeah, they deserve to win that game. They should have. They should have. They were up by 16 at halftime. Uh, all, the women's team, the women's basketball team was the sole saving grace of, of the Tulsa Athletics program this past weekend, though. Uh, I think that was the, really the only like major team that, that actually did really well this weekend, uh, at least of the games I was looking forward to, which was football, men's basketball, women's basketball, and men's soccer. And Women's basketball, unfortunately, was the only one uh, to come out on top after all those three games went through. Uh, So we will get to those each one by one. Uh, We will start with football here. And oh, and and, uh, just for context, um, Matt mentioned that today's been very uh, hard to get through after the late night. We are recording on Tuesday for reference. And so the basketball game was just, you know, it was last night. And if you're aware, it was a very late game for Central Timers. I think it started at 11 p.m. That's right, Matt. Yeah. And so you guys, if you stayed up for it, you were up until 1 a.m. I'm here in Denver, so I was up till midnight uh, and then a little bit after that being sad, but mostly until until about midnight for me. Uh, But still running on fumes today. So we'll see how this episode goes because we're also recording and it's kind of late after a long day of work for both of us. So hang with us, but we'll get through it together. Uh, So, yeah, let's get into some football. And I want to start it off on a happy note here, which is not related to the Tulsa Tulane game. It is related to former Tulsa All-American on defense, Defensive Player of the Year, Zayvon Collins, first career NFL interception on Sunday. It was, I forgot who they were even playing. I think it was Arizona. Who did they play? Chicago, right? No, they put that was the Vikings. Um, it was Geno Smith. And- yes, yes, Seahawks. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, and so Zayvon Collins gets his first career pick, and it goes for not just an interception, but it goes for a 30-yard pick six, as Zayvon Collins is known for. And saw this uh, thanks to a retweet or quote tweet, can't remember. I think it was a quote tweet, tweet by Tulsa Hop. He, Zayvon Collins reached 19.35 miles per hour on that pick six run back, which is, here's a stat for you, the fourth fastest speed reached by a ball carrier who weighs at least 260 pounds since 2018. Uh, so kind of a niche stat right there, but still pretty awesome. He's definitely got that, uh, second gear. We saw it against the Tulane against Tulane on that, you know, 99 yard pick six or however long that one was, uh, a couple seasons ago. 
And man, it is awesome to see that. Uh, he is really, ha- after, you know, kind of a, a down year last season in terms of his performance on the field and what people were expecting, I think, out of out of a first rounder. Uh, man, he's, he's bouncing back in a big way this season. And I think a lot of people are really happy with his performance this year. So really happy to see that and wanted to start it off with that one. But yeah, uh, let's get into Tulane. Uh, it was not great. We lost. It, the <laughs> uh, The final score was 27 to 13, and we had 10 points at halftime, uh, which if you do the math, that means what, Matt? We only scored three points in the second half. Unfortunate. Tulsa falls to number 84 in SP+, and three and six overall, one and four in the American. So a big stinker uh, on Saturday against Tulane. Tulane came in ranked, we all know. It was also kind of just a tough matchup from the jump. Tulsa, or Tulane's strength is rushing offense, and our likely biggest weakness is rushing defense. So new going in, it was going to be a tough one. Tulane's also just a very disciplined, solid team from top to bottom. There really are no huge weaknesses there. Uh, they're pretty much like average or better in every stat, and that's how this goes, right? They controlled the clock the entire game, um, and they did. And add, add on to that, the Davis Brin was still hurt. And so you get Braylon Braxton, who came in and did a fine job, I thought. I didn't think he played poorly. I thought he actually shined pretty well in some points in there. But that combination of things leads to uh, a 27-13 to 13 loss. And as you might expect, uh, Tajay Ty Spears, Tulane's lead running back, ran all over the Tulsa defense. I, let me see uh, what he actually – he had like – I think it was 126 rushing yards in the first half, ended with 157 total and a, and a, and a touchdown in there. So tough one. Um, hard to, you know, not, not unexpected, but still it was a slow, disappointing game and weird, uh, kind of to look back on. Yeah. His stats were reminiscent of his, you know, six game stretch at the start of 2020. Um, like I talked about that in the interview with JP last week. I mean, he averaged 11.2 yards per carry this game, (laughs) you know, obviously carried by some of the long ones, but he just, he only had four, 14 rushes. Yeah. 14, 14 rushes, seemed, 157. Damn. Yeah. It seemed like he was out there way more, but that's just because they have like, if it wasn't him, it was shoddy Clayton or like Michael Pratt or Iverson Celestine. Like they all just killed us like 53. They were averaging <laughs> 6.7 yards per carry. Yeah. Like you compare that to our, um, let's see, do some quick math here. 3.2 like more than doubling. Um, and you know, this is a game that I feel like was determined by the, the rushing one side being, they absolutely killed us. Uh, like we kind of were afraid of, and we've seen in the past, such as Navy. Um, and this is another one where it will unfortunately, or fortunately make our, uh, passing defense look a little bit better because they only had 125 yards. Uh, and we had an interception. Yeah. So, but I feel like, again, similar to Navy and Temple, that's kind of a misleading uh, stat as far as. Yeah, they didn't like, need to. Like, yeah. They just, they had no problem running, right? And, and you were, your comment on the, the JP thing made me remember another comment he made in that as part of that interview, which was at some point in there, he said something along the lines of every game for Tulane where they've won this year, which is every every one of them except one, there has been some point in the game where Tajay Spears breaks off some run uh, that he shouldn't have broken off. Like he should have gotten tackled in the backfield. He breaks a tackle or jukes a few guys and it's a big gain or a touchdown. Right. 
And that one happened on play number two of this game. And I made the joke on Twitter after the first play of the game, which was, hey, we didn't get scored on our first play of the game, which is unfortunately what happened against SMU last week or two weeks ago now. And uh, then, of course, uh, the universe kicked me in the butt, and we almost got scored on on our second play of the game. Ty J Spears went for like a 75-yard run on the second play of the game after getting after breaking like three tu- or three tackles. Uh, we got we stopped him. Fortunately, they scored on that drive though, uh, but we stopped him on that play. But yeah, it, that was funny. You're you're just bringing up JP made me remember his comment there. And the touchdown he ran for um, their second score of the game, like the 34-yard run, that was another one where. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it wasn't quite as long, but it it felt long with just how many missed tackles you have, and we just could not take these guys down. Man, totally agree. It was like I every time it was third and short or fourth and short, it was always – they would get one of those. It was just – especially the first half, we were having a real tough time stopping them on third and short. They were getting it over and over and over again, just like, you know, extending drives, making them even longer than they already were. If they didn't get it, they almost always went for it on fourth down, and in that case, they pretty much always got it on fourth and even shorter uh, for the most part. And so just, you know, stuff like that, it breaks your back. There were a couple of those drives where we made great stops, sometimes on third down and they would come back and just hammer you. I remember it was like they went for it on fourth and one from like the 35, their own 30-something. It was in the 30s, I'm pretty sure, and they got it, you know, and it's like you think you make this great stop. You're going to get the ball back in pretty good field position. Two-line com- converts the the third and short or fourth and short or whatever it was, and then they go on to score a touchdown later that drive, right? And stuff like that kills you. Yeah, and so just – Moving on to the quarterback positions, obviously, you already said Davis Brin did not play at all this week. He wasn't even dressed out. Yeah, uh, he was just on the sideline in like hoodie with the headset. So, you know, not surprising with um, how he kind of came out of the game against SMU, where he presumably reaggravated the same injury, scoring that touchdown, um, which is just super unfortunate because this whole season, I think we talked about. You know, there are a couple of things on what needs to go right for Tulsa's like team to have as good of a year as they did they needed. And it was a combination, you know, of Davis Brin and the offensive line. Like that kind of combination was the make or break. And obviously, like this injury has just completely derailed um a lot of the offensive flow that we came into this season with. Like you look at in terms of just like total number of plays that we're running. You look at it from the last four games versus the previous part of the season. You know, it's we're all of a sudden looking at like 65-ish plays per game where before we were high 70s, closer to 80. Like we are not passing as much at all because of it. And I mean, that's just Braxton just doesn't have the same sort of arm. Like he's got a bunch of different skills that I think I could like – that definitely came in handy. Like he's hurtling players. <laughs> yeah, he that was, was insane. Oh my able God, what a play. To, he's able to get out of the pocket immediately, which at the start of the game, it was great. He was avoiding a lot of sacks early by just getting out of the pocket as it would collapse almost instantaneously. But, you know, Tulane's defense adjusted for that. And you look at the second half. I mean, there was one possession where I don't think it was three straight sacks, but it was like a yeah. short maybe one yard run and then two straight sacks and then we're punting the ball again. And so even as much as like we tried to use Braxton for what he is, uh, which is like not as good of a deep ball passer, but 
way more electric um, and just kind of a playmaker, that's not enough with, I think, some of the deficiencies that we have. Like, you're looking line, you're looking, our run game just hasn't, you know, appeared um, as consistently as we would like. And so on top of that, like, Stokes, 40 yards, JC, 41 yards, like, it's a combination. Our passers, we know, sorry, our receivers are really good, but they don't have the same cannon throwing to them. And that's just kind of killed us because, you know, teams aren't scared by Braxton's like he can score, but he's not going to put up like Madden numbers. (laughs) And so all of a sudden, you know, the run game gets even harder than it already has been. Well, and the thing is, I don't, I don't really put it on Braxton for this one either because, you know, you look at his stat line, 13 of 25, 146 yards and a touchdown. You know, not terrible, not great. He had the potential here to have an incredible stat line at the end of this game. And that there, the, I think the other story of this game, outside of Tulane's running game, just thrashing us all game, several drops from our, our main receivers. Like, we had a, a two or three in there by Keelan Stokes, uh, and, and also uh, an Isaiah Epps drop that could have gone for a touchdown, like a, a deep bomb that hit the guy in the chest, right? And you don't see that very often from our receivers, or you haven't this year. I don't know if that's, you know, you know, my what I was going to say is you don't know if it's like a chemistry thing between them, but like these are open passes that hit these guys in the chest or the hands. And, you know, you got to make the plays, especially against a ranked team when you've got them at home. You're trying to get that win and stuff like that. You know, that drops, that drops Braxton's, Braxton's stat line lower than I think uh, it should have been, you know, the, a lot of those absolutely should have been completed. And so I don't, you know, you, you say he, they don't have the same like cannon thrown to him. It's true. I don't, I don't think he's the same, you know, he's not, he's not got the same arm as Davis Brin, but man, he deserved to have a better stat line than he did today after, after some of those drops. Yeah. And that's or fair. Not today, last week. Yeah. And I agree with that. I wish there was a better way to kind of track in other than like having to go back and watch every single play to see oh was it dropped was it i know like something like that because it's like ah, stokes had eight targets santana had five you know they had four and two catches respectively and it's like yeah i i remember there being some drops um just across the board and so yeah definitely hurts because when you're already kind of playing at you're playing down you, you cannot mess up those easy or those i won't say easy i'll say those catchable balls and so we really just, we killed ourselves. Yep. Totally agree. Uh, one of the other bright spots of this game, Kendarren Ray, I think he had a great game. He got his first career interception in this game, which blows my mind to say out loud. He's been here for so long. He's been in so many big plays. First career pick uh, for Kendarren Ray, unless I'm absolutely forgetting something. I'm, but I'm pretty sure that's the stat in this one. And it led to some offense. It led to the only offensive score of this game for Tulsa, uh, which was a beautiful touchdown pass from Braylon Braxton to JC Santana, 28-yarder there. That made it 17 to 10. So got us back in the game. Tulane was rolling, and we 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 were you know 17 to three uh, before that touchdown happened. So that was big, uh, and Kanaren Ray, uh, you know, got that got that thing going. So that was the other bright spot. Um, there were a bunch of other uh, kind of lame spots in this one. Uh, the other bright spot we will get to in the, in our players of the game. So I will hold off on that one right now, but uh, that's pretty much all I've got Matt on, on the two lane game. It, it just felt like a game that was boring and felt like we were, I, you know, I went in there thinking we were going to lose just based on, on, on paper. We don't match up well with the kind of game that they run this year. And so, and that's just kind of how it played out all game. It was just like slow. They dominated the cl- time of possession and clock management. And we didn't have, you know, 
one, the offensive firepower and two, the execution on offense to, to keep pace with their running game. And so it just meandered on Tulane got bigger and bigger leads as the game went on and they shut us out for the most part uh, in the second half. So it was a bummer one, um, but that I don't have that much else on, on this game really. No, there's, I feel like there's just a bunch of com- like combination of factors where, you know, I was in the stands for this game, but it was an 11 a.m. game. It was like we were clearly the worst team on the field. And I just, so I was kind of tired. The crowd wasn't all there. Like, it looked pretty uh, light on TV. Was it, was it yeah, I mean, lighter than it's, you compare it to homecoming, which obviously, you know, should be one of our bigger ones, but it, it was definitely the, well, I can't say that cause I wasn't at Jacksonville state, but yeah, definitely the least crowded game that I've been to so far this year. And it also is just morning games are t- I was tired. Yeah, I had to get sure. coffee like in this. <laughs> I, I missed like half a drive just trying to get coffee at the, oh, uh, yeah. the coffee. I was drinking truck. coffee during the game from, from here in Denver. Yeah. Gotta have some, you know? And so it just, it almost felt like I was watching the spring game as opposed to an actual <laughs> yeah. football game going on. Like there just right. wasn't a ton of excitement. There were a couple plays that I was like, dang, that was awesome. Like the hurdle, the yeah, touchdown, for sure. like some of the, some of the bigger, but there weren't that many. And so it was, it just, I don't know. It almost felt like I watched the game in just like a haze of like, Oh, we're going to lose. I'm just kind of like here to observe it. <laughs> yeah. Bummer. Like, yeah, that sucks. It was, it was just kind of weird. And so, I don't know. I, I had a lot of time to reflect on my my thoughts for uh, in terms of <laughs> post this season, but I'm sure we'll, we'll <laughs> yeah. get to that in a little bit. Yeah, yeah. No, sounds good. Uh, also, a little bit a little bit of context here. My today was uh, was election day. I had a I voted sticker on my shirt, and it just fell off, which I feel like is a bad omen. I feel like when your when your sticker falls off your shirt, maybe the election's not going. Uh, the way you're hoping it goes. So going to have to check that out here at the end of the podcast. But yeah, just want to throw that in there. Okay, uh, let's move on to players of the game. And I do remember who started last time uh, because we had to discuss and evaluate. So I started with offensive player of the game last game. Uh, so do you want to start this time? I mean, not particularly. <laughs> I mean, I, I can do it. I, if you need a second, if you need to figure it out, I'll I'll, I'll start. Okay, uh, so I went with J.C. Santana because how can you not? He got us our only true, like, offensive points. Only receiver without any drops also, as far as I can recall. I don't remember any from him. Uh, pretty sure eh, Malachi Jones might not have had any either, but I don't uh, – how many times did he actually get thrown to? He had three targets. I'm pretty sure the one that he missed, Braxton threw out of the end zone. Okay, that sounds – Right. I think I'm remembering that as well. So, yeah, I'm pretty sure Santana, uh, even if he wasn't the only one, he was one of the few uh, without any big drops in this game. And he caught the nice touchdown pass that got us our only real offensive points in this one. Rough game from the offense in general. uh, And so I think it kind of weans out almost everybody else. Uh, So I'm going to give it to him. Yeah. So I feel like it's between him and I feel like the only offensive playmate, not the only, but, you know, Braxton made stuff happen. Um, and as much as I talked about, like we're, and, and this is not me just trying to be negative, obviously, cause I'm picking him as the offensive player of the game in my mind, but like, yeah, we're just a different team. I don't think anybody can argue that like it's a different style of play. And so it's just, 
you know, not what we saw earlier this season. That being said, Braxton clearly was like the like only exciting part of this game in my mind. Like it's between this and like one awesome defensive play that happened. Um, That's kind of like the hurdle, the getting out of the pocket and finding guys across the field. Like there's one, I remember very early on where he was running, ran outside of the pocket, looked like he was going to scramble because he had, you know, he had maybe two defenders coming towards him, but he was going to get like four or five yards. It was going to be great. And right as he gets step, he steps up at the line of scrimmage, pops it right over the second defender's head, and we get like nice. a fifteen yard pass. And so, just plays like those, we haven't seen from we didn't see from Bryn, um, just because he wasn't nearly as mobile. And so, like Braxton was, I think the reason this game was as close as it was, um, you know, with a fourteen point loss, and like you were saying, you know, a drop here drop there that turned into catches all of a sudden you're looking at okay it's a ball game yeah no i think that makes sense and like two lanes defense no joke yeah i just pulled up the sp plus rankings again they are number 27 uh in terms of sp plus ranking defense so they've got a re- they've got a legit defense that's not an easy thing to go to specifically against the run which is where uh braxton excels kind of you know they they're pretty good at stopping that kind of thing and you look at that, like, look at our longest run of the game, 21-yard run, Braylon Braxton, right? That's the longest one. He, he did that. And he's electric. He can make that stuff happen. And that's the threat he brings to the offense. The thing that we haven't really talked about is how ineffective uh, Daenerys Prince was this game, unfortunately. And, you know, I, I, maybe I'm forgetting a game or two where he really went off. I can only remember the Temple game being the one. I know he was out for the first, like, three or four. Uh, but, like, consistency from Prince is – Something I didn't think we'd be looking for, you know, assuming he did come back at some point this year, I figured he'd come back strong, especially after that performance against Temple. And it's just kind of been not quite what I uh, thought. And I know, too, like I, like I just said, Tulane's got a great rushing defense, so maybe that's all it was. But um, looking for some more consistency there. But, yeah, no, totally agree, Matt. I think uh, I think Braylon Braxton's a, a great pick there. He was the only other one that I really considered in this and uh, definitely a justified pick. Yeah, I was looking at Prince's just season stats and I'm like, oh, they're pretty close to last year and half as many games. And then you look at it and you're like, well, there's there's one reason for that. You know, had quite a few yards against Temple to kind of <laughs> yeah. bolster that number up. Yeah, he I mean, had he over had 200 th- in that game, right? Yeah, 231. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 86 against SMU wasn't terrible, but yeah, yeah, you kind of look like Navy negative five. Uh, yeah that game's so tough because we we like we gave up on the run game against navy so quick and so it was like yeah he got off to a tough start but he didn't have any chance to to bounce back because we started just chucking the ball around trying to come back yeah and in my mind like from what we've seen from prince i've i've got to imagine just having the inexperienced offensive line is really killing him like the number of yard like offensive line yards has got to be i haven't checked yet this week uh where we stand for the season but it has got to be you know, pretty low in the country. Yeah, I would, yeah, I would assume the same thing. Uh, no way it's not, right? Uh, cool. Okay, uh, let's move on to defense player of the game. Now you got to do this one, Matt, because you, you deferred on the first one. Yeah. Um, so first, I just want to say, like, looking at the, the total numbers for defense, you see the top tackler had 18 tackles this game. <laughs> yeah. Like terrifying um yeah, just seriously. like that's how many tackles that's how many plays they ended up running and that doesn't even include their touchdowns um, <laughs> yeah, right 
So, but yeah, um, you, you talked about it. I briefly mentioned it. Like one of the most exciting plays of the game was the interception from Kendarin Ray. Uh, Kendarin Ray has been a guy that I've been high on since I named him my breakout defensive player of the year, I think back in 2020, um, or whatever, whatever year. That was Mon- probably it. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever year Montgomery talked about him being the best safety to ever, um, potentially. Yeah. Potentially to ever go, you know, through Tulsa. So, uh, he did not lead the team in tackles, but was not far behind with 13 tackles, had an interception, uh, which he caught off of a tipped pass, um, number 80 on Tulane. Um, uh, not name is, I think it's James, uh, Tyreek James just couldn't yeah. handle the ball. And Kendarin was there perfectly take advantage of it. And like we said, that led to our only offensive score of the game. So huge play, um, thought for a second that it might, you know, be a momentum changer. Um, cause I think at the time that it happened, what we were, it would have been 17, 10. So we were only 17, three at the time. And then we scored on the, yeah. we scored on the touchdown. Yep. Yeah. So after once we scored 17, 10, and so it's like, all right, you know, we're only out of it by a score. And then that was kind of, kind of it, but that's uh that was my defensive player. Yep. I'm the same. Uh, mentioned him already. Probably an obvious pick. Uh, yeah, I mean, he made the impact playing this game. He got us back into the game, like like Matt said, and like I said earlier, it's seventeen to three when this happened, and he turned it around, made it seventeen, basically made it seventeen ten by himself. Great pass from Braxton to Santana to actually make that happen. But that play doesn't happen without Ken Darren Ray turning the tide there. Unfortunately, momentum did not continue uh, as we discussed. Uh, that was the only offensive score of the game. Uh, he also had a nice other, I remember, like pass breakup where he kind of jumped over a guy and wrapped his arms around him and broke the ball out. Uh, which was super nice. So a couple good plays in there. 13 total tackles also, eight solo. Um, The only other one, I think, to give a shout-out here, just because you mentioned him, uh, Matt, just based on the numbers. Like, look at that. John Michael Terry, 18 total tackles, including a tackle for loss in there by himself, seven seven solo tackles. So got to shout him out as well. But totally agree. Ken Aaron Ray's got to be the guy in this one. All right, special teams. I'm excited for this one because we actually had a good special teams game for the first time in quite a while. Uh, we'll see if Matt breaks his special teams boycott, but I think you should. I think this game is the one that deserves it. Uh, I am going to give it to Lachlan Wilson. Six punts in this game. Unfortunately, that's a lot of punts, but that's what happens when you play a two-lane team who shuts down your offense for the most of the game. Uh, five, here's what happened, though. Five of these punts were inside the 20. Four of those punts were inside the 15 or the 10, right? It was like over and over again, pinning them deep inside their own territory didn't end up mattering they scored on long drives all game long uh but that's like that's obviously preferred uh compared to uh you know not good punts or screwing them up or something like that and maybe had that not been the case this is way more of a blowout than it actually was so um really awesome game from him he had a 74 yard right <laughs> that's absolutely insane uh that was his long for the day 46 and a half yard average so I got to give it to him. He was over and over again, pretty pretty consistent and clutch uh, with the deep punts and pinning him deep. Yeah, maybe it was just needing to see a punter who is not very good in comparison um, to show <laughs> me just like how good Lachlan can be when he turns it on. Because like Tulane's punter was not very good in comparison. He had three punts, average of like 36 yards, zero inside the 20, zero of 50 plus yards. And so you look at that, like Lachlan gave us the advantage of field position that 
our defense could not uh, maintain and their punter gave us good field position that our offense could not sustain. So, wow, that rhymed. That was beautiful, man. Yeah. Poetry right there. Yeah. So, I I will I will give it to Lachlan as my special teams player of the, or my special I don't know, cuz our special teams in general like still we gave up like 66 yards on kickoff returns, like not great, like but I don't want to be like special person. That makes it sound like too romantic. <laughs> Special teams, player of the game. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. No, we're definitely not great in special teams. Still number 102 in the latest SP Plus rankings uh, in the country in terms of total special teams. But, yeah, today was definitely a good game. Didn't give up anything. Oh, God. I agree, Scout. Scouts, Scouts. you know, I, I don't know if that's uh, agreeing with me or she's like, no, we are still bad at special teams. Stop it. Um, but like that, that game was a good game. Uh, we, you know, uh, didn't give up anything really big. Also, Zach Long had a good game, two for two on field goals, both in the 40 yard range, a 40 yarder and a 46 yarder. So extremely solid game from him. And then, you know, an extra point also on the, on the offensive score. And so, you know, good game all around. Nothing really bad happened. A bunch of good things happened. So solid game from special teams. Sweet. Uh, wrapping up the football recap. Just want to run down some injuries. I don't, I seriously, I was grinding my brain about this. I can't remember any, uh, that happened during this game on Tulsa's side, at least. Can you, Matt, do you remember anything that happened on the field that I'm blanking on? I'm sure there, you know, there's always one there's gotta be. So I'm sure I'm just forgetting one, uh, or more, but I can't remember any off the top of my head. No, I don't, I don't think so. I don't yeah. I can't well, recall any and I can't find any in like a in the stat. Yeah. Book. Yeah. So clean game in terms of injuries, I, I suppose. I uh, don't really remember any from Tulane side either. And then you look at penalties. The last thing I want to touch on here and also a clean game from both teams, uh, especially for Tulane. Tulane had one penalty in this entire game for 15 yards, right? That was their entire thing that happened in the third quarter. We had five penalties total, but all of those happened in the first half. So got off to a really tough start uh, in terms of penalties uh, five for 44 yards, but I got, I suppose zero in the second half. Cause I, I, I mean, I know there were five in the first half, so surprising to me. Uh, but that's very good. Like good for us. That is a, that's a good number to, to end with for the game. And you know, usually sometimes that'll, that'll be the difference in the game. Unfortunately, Tulane outplayed us there as well. I believe there was one in the second half, I think four in the first, and then it looks like a holding call. It went, we, we had a holding call against us and then they committed their pass interference. So kind of canceled it out right uh, after. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Cool. Anything else on the Tulane game you wanted to bring up, Matt, that we didn't get to, or are you good to uh, move on to around the American real quick? Uh, I saw Tulane bumped up two spots. That's cool. A win against us gets you two points in the CFP <laughs> polls. Yeah, that's a good that's a good call out. Uh, uh, the thing I, I forgot I wanted to mention this. There was a a series a couple days. I guess it was probably just one real one real day um, after this game because I'm pretty sure they announced game day like in the afternoon of Sunday. But Tulane fans were really seriously hoping, and I think had a decent chance of this actually happening of landing college game day next week. They play UCF. They host UCF, who is number 22 now. Uh, the college football playoff rankings just came out right before we started. I think they're also number 22 there, um, but they're definitely 22 in the AP poll. And Matt is nodding yes, so I assume they're also 22 in the in the playoff rankings. So we've got a ranked American Conference matchup. College game day has never been to Tulane. The other games in question here were Alabama all Miss, and so they wanted Alabama to lose, which they did. So they got that one uh, to LSU. And the only other game really in contention for this was Texas at TCU, or maybe it's TCU at Texas. I'm pretty sure it's TCU at Texas. And 
game day has already been to Austin this year. And so they were feeling really good about hosting game day for the first time in Tulane history, and they didn't get it. Game day ends up going to Austin for the second time in a season to cover the freaking Longhorns, who find it's a it's a big matchup, whatever, I understand. But give somebody else new. It's always fun. People enjoy that. Like, New Orleans is a fun city. You can make game day fun if you go there for one time. I don't know. It was I was disappointed, you know, that they didn't get it, and it's going to Texas again um, for the second time this season. But wanted to throw that out there. They were really hoping for it. Didn't end up getting it, so I feel for the green wave. But uh, maybe next year. Texas is back. They should just try being a bigger market next time. <laughs> yes, that's the problem. Austin's, yeah plebe city over there all right around the american time let's do that week 10 is in the books we had oh man there was some spice this week in a couple different ways so i will start with uh the two relatively non-spicy games and then get to the spicy ones so start with uh ucf beating memphis 35 to 20 this is actually a very good game 35 to 28 was the final score here was in memphis uh ucf pulled it out ucf like we've mentioned now number 22 in the ap poll and the college football playoff playoff poll uh, close game all game. Mikey Keene is still the starting quarterback. John Rice Plumley is still out with an injury. So the backup leads he leads the Knights to a win over Memphis. Um, now it's kind of a hot topic on like when Plumley, their their traditional starter, is is healthy again. Should Mikey Keene still be the starter? And you know, so of course that's happening in UCF fandom. That whole debate. Regardless, uh their defense is really what carries them this year. They've got some decent offense every now and then, but uh, their defense is very good. So UCF now rises to seven and two, four and one in the American. Memphis four and five, two and four overall. They have now lost four straight games. So Memphis on the downward slope here, and that's what we talked about with JP. Sometimes Memphis likes to phone it in at the end of the year. They still got a chance to be bowl eligible, obviously. Um, but you know, last season it didn't end very well for them. So uh, that is something to keep an eye on. We'll get to the Memphis preview after this, but there you go. The other kind of snoozer, um, or the only real, the only true snoozer this week was Cincinnati playing Navy. And since he won 20 to 10, didn't watch any of it. I'm sure it was a slow roll pretty much the entire game as Navy games tend to be. Um, but Cincinnati wins. So they go to seven and two, four and one in the American, just like UCF. Navy falls to three and six, three and four in the American. Okay. On to the main events here. We got a couple, couple good ones. Uh, I don't, I didn't even know which one to start with here. They're both so intriguing in their own ways. Uh, we will start with, uh, we'll start with Temple. So Temple goes to, no wait, Temple hosts South Florida 54, uh, to 28 was the final score of this game. 54 to 28 Temple beats USF, right? That is South Florida. Like they've won one FBS game in the three years that Jeff Scott has been the head coach there one. And that was last season. They beat Temple, right? And now they come back this year and they lose against the only team that they were able to beat last year who's got an entirely new roster and a brand new head coach and they lose by, what is that? Uh, 26? I think so. 26-point game. Horrible. <laughs> so the uh, I, I saw a South Florida, like the Daily Stampede, they have a, they have a USF blog. They, they posted about this event that I'm about to mention, which you can probably guess what it is. The end of the article was what must be done eventually must be done immediately. And that is what happened. They fired Jeff Scott. So head coach Jeff Scott, he was an offensive assistant for Clemson, came to USF three years ago and is out. So he is gone. Um, can't believe it. I mean, I, I can believe it. I, I thought they would give him till the end of the year personally, uh, as most G5 schools traditionally do, but 
when you drop a 26 pointer to the other worst team in your conference, that's, that kind of puts this, uh, puts the screws to you and you, you got to get it done. Uh, some of the stats I mentioned already one FBS win in his three years as USF's head coach, he was four and 26 overall. Obviously those other three wins were against FCS teams. Uh, and his, his South Florida Bulls team is now 0 and five in the American this season, one and eight overall with their one win being an FCS win this year. So that's what leads to you getting fired in college football, uh, in the American, <laughs> like that's, uh, that just makes sense. Uh, to me, I was still a little surprised it happened, um, before the end of the year, but in hindsight, after this game, uh, I understand, uh, why they went that way. And they just, they're horrible. Like they're, they got unlucky with injuries and stuff. They're, they're starting quarterback Gary Bohannon out for the year. And so that happened a couple games ago. So their backup's been in there. He's been okay, but n- nothing special. The real problem is the defense. They, the defense for the Bulls has been absolutely horrendous the entire season they just gave up 344 passing yards to temple and ej warner 277 rushing yards to temple four rushing touchdowns uh temple's running back ran for 265 yards by himself it was just you know uh what is hot knife through butter is is the term i'm looking for there and that's what happens to you. So Jeff Scott is out. Did you see this coming, Matt? Did you think they would do it mid-year? I, I you got I gotta think you thought they would do it at the end of the year with how the season started. But I was surprised by the by the mid-year firing. Yeah, I was also kind of just surprised by the firing in general. I don't know. I mean, maybe not. Maybe I'm just so used to teams just not firing their <laughs> coaches. Um, that I was just kind of like, oh, I mean, he'll be around for another year or so. But it, I, I'm literally pulling up a spreadsheet right now that I'm going to, like, I think put together when this episode is over and just be like, how many coaches have been in and out of the American in the last eight years? Where a lot. I mean, it's just Monty and Neo Matalolo, right? Are the only two that have been here through Monty's entire tenure? Oh, yeah. Uh, Fickle was pretty – Fickle probably came two years after Monty. I think Montgomery came – Definitely beat uh, that Riverside Gambler dude, the guy who ran for Senate the next year. What uh, Tommy yeah, Tilberville? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Beat him. I think he. We only played him one year, so Fickle might have come in one year after Montgomery. But I think those are the three longest tenured coaches in the American. I want to say that Tuberville was the year we went ten and three. That's when he got fired. That makes sense. You're probably yeah. right. So I guess that's two, but. Yeah it's, yeah, it's just, no, man, well, I know it is. Uh, yeah, go ahead. I was just, and then there was a comment yesterday from, I think, Colin Sherwin, where he's like, what, a, what how many times has a uh, football and basketball program fired <laughs> head coach in the same week? Because yeah. USF lost to t- uh, Southeast Missouri State. Southeast Missouri State, baby, number 310 in Ken Palm to start the year. Oof, rough, rough. rough times, that is year rough number four for, uh, for Brian Crickery over there. And the thing about Jeff Scott is like, and you know, I, I've heard this throughout his years there. He does everything else very well. Like he has put a, made a ton of progress infrastructurally, administratively with the Bulls. They're working on an indoor campus uh, or an indoor, indoor practice facility. They're working on an on-campus stadium. All the stuff that the all the stuff that the Bulls have been wanting for years, right? He is making that happen, or at least has been a huge voice in making that happen. Uh, he's rebuilt a ton of, apparently a ton of relationships in the area that were not there under Charlie strong and, and the coach before him. So I think he's done basically everything except win. And unfortunately winning is uh, stat number one when you're a head coach for a football team. And so despite all his progress in other areas, it was time to, to make a change. And I think it was a pretty cordial dismissal. They even like 
they let Jeff Scott make comments after they fired him about, you know, anything he had to say. And he was very, very gracious and kind, understood why it happened. And uh, the president of the university made some also kind comments about the progress he's made for the university. And so did the AD. So I don't, I don't feel like anybody really left on bad terms there. Um, but it, you know, it seems like he's a good dude who did a lot of the stuff well for South Florida, just couldn't get it done on the football field. Okay. So that was one. We still have another spicy story here. And <laughs> that was, this one is more on the game related notes. And that was SMU going on the road to Houston and beating the Cougars. Here's the final score, everybody. If you, you probably saw it because it was all over the place. 77 SMU, 63 Houston Cougars. That is the highest scoring regulation game in modern college football history. The actual highest scoring college football game, Matt, do you know what it is? That includes overtimes and stuff? I had to look um, this up. I didn't know it before. Yeah, was it A&M LSU? Mm, look at this. Money on the money. 2018 Texas A&M LSU, seven overtimes it took, and that final score was 74 to 72. So in a regulation, SMU Houston almost scores as many points as the actual highest scoring game ever that had seven overtimes, right? Absolutely crazy. Uh, the other one is doesn't really count because it was not really – it was like in the 20s or the 30s or something. Another trivia time here for you, Matt. Do you know what the highest scoring game ever is? You better not be looking it up right now. I'm, I'm not looking up it. Highest scoring game of all time, any division. All right, I guess it involves one FBS team. I will tell you that. Um, can I get a decade? Is that, is that allowed? Uh, I don't know it off the top of my head, but I will, I will find it. Let me, let me look it up. Or an era. Sing the Jeopardy song. (laughs) Okay. Got it for you. It was decade, uh, the 19 aughts. No, wait, 1910s. Okay. Um, I feel like I'm not going to be able to get the non-FPS team <laughs> at all. Um, yeah, there's literally no way. If you don't know it, there's you would never guess. <laughs> you would never guess the school. Yeah, I would guess I'm going to go Notre Dame versus somebody. It was not. It was surprise. Like I, I don't know. Maybe they were. Maybe they were a powerhouse back in the day. It sounds like they were. Uh, Georgia Tech. Ah, yeah, that was my other one because I mean the Heisman. That's, that's who was Georgia uh, Tech? Who was? Oh, yeah. Good point. Yeah. Good call. Here's the final score. Get ready. Georgia Tech, 220. <laughs> Can't even say it out loud. Georgia Tech, 220. Cumberland College, zero. 220 to zero. Georgia Tech puts up 220 points by themselves. Highest scoring uh, football game of all time, and they did it alone. Here's the, here's the other twist on this one. Cumberland College. Their football team was just a bunch of frat brothers <laughs> that had never practiced together. They had never played together. They just decided they wanted to have a football team. And so Georgia Tech comes in and, as a highly rated team. They actually won the national championship the next year I saw. So this is like a high-level FBS college football team, probably not FBS at the time, but whatever, uh, playing a bunch of guys that are frat brothers and have never practiced. And that's how you get a 220 to nothing final score in that one. Pretty wild. Uh, but yeah, so some stats about, uh, back on SMU Houston, um, absolutely ridiculous game again, just, to, just to rehash final score, 77 to 63 SMU's quarterback, uh, their starter was back Tanner Mordecai, Preston stone. You might remember got hurt against us. It sounds like he might be out for the year. Actually. I think he has to have a surgery on his collarbone or something like that. Uh, so Tanner Mordecai, the initial starter comes back from his injury. I think it was a concussion. 
and sets a bunch of records uh, in this one, obviously, when he scored 77 points. And it was pretty much all him. Uh, he set SMU and American Athletic Conference records with nine touchdown passes. He also ran for a touchdown. So he had 10 total touchdowns uh, responsible for by himself, which is the most uh, – I, I thought that would be the most ever. It is not. I don't know who has the most ever. Uh, an article I saw earlier when I was looking this stuff up, um, 10 total touchdowns is the most a single player has been responsible for since – at least 2000. So this article I was reading didn't even know uh, who it actually was, but could be all time, I suppose. Uh, but at least since 2000, says this article. He had seven passing touchdowns in the first half by himself. Uh, just, this game, man, it was just over and over. SMU scored touchdowns on their first nine drives. SMU didn't punt till the third quarter. There was one combined punt in this entire game. Houston never punted. Absolutely crazy. Uh, but that's how that one went. At, just a wild game from top to bottom. SMU gets the win. Their head coach uh, was acting a fool on Twitter afterwards and uh, throwing some shade onto Dana Holgerson, which is always fun to see. Not a monstrous fan of Rhett, Rhett Lashley, uh, but I feel like I like him better than I like Dana Holgerson, so I'm for it. I'm for it in that case. But just crazy. I mean, man. Just an Dana absolute Holgerson ridiculous Holgerson is just like objectively and – not very likable dude <laughs> yeah it's very true somebody just needs to tell that guy like take a shower every now and then he's just you know he's just a, he's just dirty <laughs> you just need to figure it out uh but yeah crazy game uh smu and houston actually are exactly tied in both overall conference overall record and conference record um five and four overall for both of them and three and two in the american for each so both of them sort of you know not quite out of the running for the american but you know sort of it's it's pretty much getting differentiated there at the top uh between uh Tulane UCF Cincinnati and East Carolina knocking on the door at number four there okay uh let's uh move on let's get to Memphis uh we don't have much on Memphis I've watched a game or two from them we don't have a guest uh for you this week they definitely have a a, a person or two we probably could have hit up uh but man it's been a busy time in Hurricane land for both of us. So no Memphis guest this time. Uh, so we'll just do, we'll do a quick preview on Memphis and then we'll move on to, uh, to basketball, which I feel like people are going to be kind of more excited for going forward anyway, with how football has sort of wound up. There's still a chance we make a bowl game. Uh, we talked about this last game, but now we have to win out, right? You've got three games left. You are three and six. You have to win all of them. And two of those games are not going to be easy. So not impossible, but obviously it's a, once again, just like last year, an uphill climb. Okay, on to Memphis. They are coached by Ryan Silverfield. Um, pretty sure it's his third year there as well. Previous guy was Mike Norvell, who left for Florida State. And, man, has he had the season of his what he needed. He was kind of on the hot seat last year, definitely on the hot seat to start this year, but has really helped turn, the, um, turn around the Seminoles. Silverfield came in, took what was an extremely hot program, has mostly been disappointing for the Tigers uh, they finished six and six last season, which is not up to the Memphis standard. They are four and five this year, two and four in the American and just kind of languishing in no man's land. Uh, once again, what it seems like for them, they are better than us in SP plus in, I think every category, uh, they are number 62 overall. They're number 62 overall. We are number 84. Um, their offense is number 24, which surprised me. I know they have a really good quarterback in Seth Hannigan. I'll get to him in a bit, but I don't, I don't think they have really that many weapons outside of him, but I know he's good. Uh, their defense is very bad. SP plus ranked number 104. 
Uh, I think we're either 102 or 105 right now. So we're pretty close on defense. Neither of us play very well on that side of the ball. And then special teams, they are number 11. Uh, So they've definitely got the special teams advantage over us. Um, moving on with them. They are, as I mentioned earlier, they're on a four game losing streak. Uh, they've lost to Houston, East Carolina in four overtimes, uh, three weeks ago, Tulane two weeks ago, and then UCF just this past weekend and are not, you know, a lot of fans want Silverfield out. They've wanted that for a season and a half now for the most part. And he's not really doing much this season to alleviate those concerns. The thing is like the Memphis program is not bad. It's just very it's just been very average and after after justin after years of justin fuente going into mike norvell memphis is now like after you know early memphis football was horrible and then they got this boon of fuente to norvell for like eight years and now memphis fans are used to them being at the top of the league justifiably i think like they're in a big city they have access to a lot of talents in tennessee they're the resources are there the alignment with the university feels like it's there and so they're used to this level of success, and it just hasn't been there. So there's a lot of there's a lot of drama around the Memphis coaching staff and program right now for football. Um, but we'll see what happens. The current spread right now, Memphis favored by 6.5 on the road. Pretty close. The over-under is 61.5. Uh, Memphis owns the all-time series 19-12. to 12. However, Tulsa won last year 35-29. to 29. Memphis did win the last three before that, though. Uh, final higher level notes before we get into some personnel and such. Uh, the game is on Thursday night, which Matt and I did not realize until like two days ago, or maybe it was yesterday. And we were like, oh, well, this is going to be a tough one to listen to if you're trying to listen to the Memphis podcast or the Memphis preview uh, before the game. But we'll, we'll have it out before the game, so you'll have some time if, you, uh, if you're dying for it. Uh, so Thursday night, 6.30 p.m. I think it's on ESPN like the mothership because uh, it's on Thursday. So that should be fun. Primetime game on Thursday night. Uh, hopefully we play well and don't embarrass ourselves on national TV as we tend to do occasionally uh, when we have these kind of primetime games. Uh, that's all the high level stuff I've got on this team, Matt. How are you feeling going into this one? I, I, I feel like on paper, we, we definitely match up with them better than we did against Tulane in terms of like, what are we good at versus what is Tulane good at? Uh, or what is Memphis good at? So how do you feel going into this one? I know it's been kind of a slog recently, but you feel like we can bounce back at all in this one, or are you kind of throwing in the towel on this on this game? I mean, I don't know if throwing in the towel is necessarily accurate. I mean, I've kind of given up on bowl eligibility just because I don't think we can win out. That being said, I think, you know, this is a very winnable game. Um, but it all not all, but a big part of it is who's playing. Like who is starting a quarterback? Is it going to be Braxton again? Is it going to be Bryn? Like that's just going to be kind of pivotal to every game that we play for the remainder of the year. Um, And then I think this is the best passing team we'll have played in a decent while because, I mean, you look at SMU, well, we got Stone and then their third string. Like, we didn't see Mordecai um, in that game at all. And so you have to go back to, I mean, like, who's the best passer that we've played so far this year? Is it Cincinnati uh, Bryant? No, I mean, he's he's been kind of disappointing, I would say, uh, from a Cincinnati standpoint. Their defense is kind of keeping them in most of these games. Uh, like Pratt, yeah, Pratt is I mean, really effective, but is not like a gunslinger of a quarterback. So... Yes, Pratt's more of like a game manager. You know, you you I'd probably have to give it uh 
probably to Ole Miss uh, and, and Jackson Dart over there. I don't know how they've done recently, but I know against us, it w- they leaned heavily on the run game because they've got that like two-headed monster of Judkins and uh, and Zach Evans, the TCU guy. Um, and against us, they they played it pretty conservatively on the ground, like with the ground game. Yeah. So uh, but it, he, I know he's like getting some attention. Yeah. So if you looked at Dart as like the best quarterback that we have played against this year, we have not played that many quarterbacks. Yeah. Uh, no, I kind agree. Of what it comes down to, and so I think Seth Hennigan is the first real challenge to us to kind of see. Okay, our passing defense is skewed um, in <laughs> yeah. some way, shape, or form right now. This is kind of the test. This is we finally have maybe a little bit of a breather since Memphis is no longer running back you. Um, but will our secondary be able to, you know, adjust to more emphasis played on their game? Yep, they're, I, I, I'm totally with you. They, they definitely lean heavier on the passing attack this year than they have in years past. Like you mentioned, they, you know, after some, when we've talked about this on the podcast many times before, but they had so many years in a row of absolutely dominant running backs, like the best running backs in the league every year for like six years, how many, <laughs> over I mean, and over. There's a bunch of them in the NFL still. Like oh, yeah. You got Antonio Gibson, Daryl Henderson. I mean, they're Tony just like, Bollard. Yeah, they're just scattered. Yeah, they're all over the place, and they're all – doing well for the most, you know, Daryl Henderson is on my fantasy team. I wish he was doing better this season. Uh, but the other two guys generally doing well. Gibson's having a, a pretty solid year. Tony Pollard is breaking out this season after being behind Ezekiel Elliott for like four seasons now. I have and so what was that? I have both of them. And oh yeah. Really <laughs> in so. a, yeah. Yeah. No, that, that's cool. That, that makes total sense. Um, and this is just, that is not this team. They, they don't have a running back like that. They're not horrible at running, but they're nowhere near, where we're used to seeing them. They, ha- I was looking at their all their games this season, and they all year they haven't had a running back go for more than 85 yards. They had one game in the 80s. Almost every other game is 60s or below. The last four games they haven't had a guy rush for over 60 yards, and Seth Hennigan is their third leading rusher on the season, and he's not a like fast running quarterback, right? And so the rushing game is not there. It's not there for them. Um, it might be there against us because we can't stop anybody on the ground, it seems like. But I don't think it's as, bi- as big of a concern as it is against a Tulane or a Navy or teams who you know are going to hammer you on the ground or try to hammer you on the ground. So that makes me feel better because we know we can't stop the run very well. Memphis does not have the rushing attack that we're used to. So that's not into play. So then you look at, like you were saying, Matt, they're passing offense. It is very good. Seth Hennigan is a sol- well, I would say Seth Hennigan is very good, but he doesn't have many weapons around him, even on like the receiver side of the ball. They're not bad, but they don't have any, you know, big timers that also we're kind of used to seeing extremely talented skill positions at the receiver spot for Memphis too. And this year they're leading guys at tight end, which is, you know, that's fine. And that's kind of how it was for Tulane as well. They give it off to Tyreek James all the time, but not really what you're used to seeing from Memphis. Uh, their tight end, Caden Prescorn, leading receiver, 454 yards and six touchdowns on the year. So he'll definitely be a problem, um, I'm sure. He's a big, tall, lengthy guy that is probably a mismatch nightmare. Uh, on the receiver side, neither of them, you know, are having huge seasons. Uh, I would say their two leading guys, at least from games I've watched, are Joe Skates and Eddie Lewis. They both have four touchdowns this year. Um, uh, coincidentally, I don't know if this is actually the case, the, the couple games that I've watched, Joe Skates has been like the higher impact. He makes some of the bigger plays, uh, but Eddie Lewis is more of a, like he gets more opportunities, like he gets thrown to more often. So I would probably keep an eye out for those three guys. 
the most uh, for Memphis, Joe Skates, Eddie Lewis, and then the tight end, Caden Priestcorn. Um, but this is not an unbeatable team by any stretch. They are straight up bad on defense. Uh, they're 119th in the country in passing yards allowed. They are like average to less than average on uh, on rushing defense. And we just talked about their offense. So none of these are like, you know, insanely good uh, stats for them. Like their passing offense is definitely their biggest weapon. We'll see how we can handle that. I feel better about our passing defense than our rushing defense. So I think this is a winnable game. It's on the road, unfortunately. The Liberty Bowl, where Memphis plays, always a tough place to play. They usually, even when they're not that great, have pretty solid attendance. So I think it's going to be a close one. I know we have said that many times this year, and usually that is true. Um, But sometimes it has not been, especially – on the road. So we'll see how this one goes. Uh, I agree though. I think we match up pretty well on paper, but I have no idea what to think of this team anymore. And you mentioned the kind of the crux of the game, like who's the starting quarterback. Can the offensive line continue improving? I was looking, I was looking back at some games earlier from this year and it's, you know, it's gotten incrementally better as the season has gone on. Like you think back to the Cincinnati game, 11 sacks given up in that one. Then we got, you know, Navy, we only had two, I think, uh, against them. So, you know, pretty good, pretty good game against Navy. But then you've got seven against Temple, five against SMU, four against Tulane. So the general trend going down in terms of number of sacks allowed, which is good. Giving up four uh, is still not great. Like, you don't, you know, ideally you'd give up like one or two a game or zero would be fantastic. Uh, but one or two, acceptable. So want to see if we can make that happen Uh when we, when we go against Memphis here, let me see if I can find their, uh, their total number of sacks. Yeah. Okay. They have like very few, they're 114th in the country in terms of total sacks on the season. So I don't think it's going to be a temple temple or Cincinnati level of just absolutely selling out to get the quarterback, which is what some of these teams have done against us. Tulane didn't do it quite as much, especially because we had Braxton in there. So It'll be interesting uh, to see what happens. I think whoever is at quarterback, we still have a chance to win this game because their defense is so bad. It really comes down to can our defense stop Memphis's passing attack, and I think that the story mostly is open and shut on that right there. Cool. Uh, anything else on Memphis, or you want to? I mean, I'm good to move on to basketball at this point. Yeah, let's hop on over. Sweet. Let's do it. Okay. Uh, we had. Season openers, we, the reason we wanted to do this on Tuesday was so we could talk about the season openers for men's basketball and women's basketball, both of which happened yesterday, Monday the 7th. Uh, so we're going to talk about both of those. Uh, I wanted to preface this with some recruiting news. And we talked about one guy last week. That was the number one player out of Tennessee, Jared Hall, who committed to Tulsa. And we, we talked about him already, so I won't spend a ton of time on him. But uh, big-time recruit. Uh, had offers from Tennessee from Florida, Memphis, SLU, Vanderbilt, a bunch of others. So huge get. And that was kind of the first in this chain. And then the next day, like I think it was the day we actually recorded the podcast or it was like during while we were recording. So it wasn't part of the podcast. Uh, we had another one. And then a couple of days later, we got another one, all of which are big time, high level, like high three-star style recruits that are coming into Tulsa. So it started off 6-6 forward. Uh, kind of a small forward style, Carlos Williams or Carlos Williams. It's C-A-R-L-O-U-S. Um, commits to Tulsa, right? He was at a community college before, Pearl River Community College. He had, the reason he was there, he, he initially committed to South Carolina. Um, I believe he is from South Carolina. Uh, no, he's from Mississippi. Never mind. Um, but he committed to South Carolina, did not sign on signing day, 
and opted to go the JUCO route instead. So that's how he winds up at Pearl River. I don't know the reason why he decided to do that. Generally, you, I, I would think you would do that because you think you can get an offer to a better school than South Carolina if you go the JUCO route. Uh, I don't know how the JUCO season went for him. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know why he ended up choosing Tulsa over you know, going back to one of the schools that had previously offered him. Um, but either way, high, highly rated guy uh, out of Mississippi and had offers out of high school from, like I mentioned already, South Carolina, but also Houston from Baylor, you know, a team that was coming off a national championship run, a bunch of others. So highly touted guy. I don't know enough about him to know how his JUCO season went, but a big time recruit. Uh, and a, a, you know, long rangey small forward style dude there. So big, big pickup there. And then another one is super intriguing six foot nine center, which we've been waiting on for a while. Conkle has been on the hunt for like a true center style guy coming in the next year. And finally got one. There've been a couple of swings and misses, unfortunately so far on the center trail for like a true big man. And actually the, the funny thing was like Matt Reed was one of those misses. He was offered by us and did not choose us. He initially committed to Richmond. Uh, he visited Tulsa, committed to Richmond a week later. And so I remember when that came out, we were, everybody was bummed. We thought we might get him. It's, it felt like had a good chance at it. Um, he put out his top two right after the Tulsa visit and it was us in Richmond, right? And it, it felt like it was going to happen. Unfortunately, he picked the other one, uh, went to Richmond, but then he decommitted and opened it up his recruiting again. And what do you know? He picks Tulsa, uh, which is maybe not surprising given that we were his top two. And so he didn't want to go to his first anymore. So he goes to his other one. Uh, not sure why he decommitted, what what was in his head. Obviously, you haven't talked to him or anything like that. But a huge pickup. Finally, a center coming in. Committed to Tulsa. Had offers from Georgetown, obviously. Richmond, obviously. Mizzou. TCU. Oral Roberts, which is a very nice win all the time. And plenty more. Uh, he is a big-time guy. The other cool thing, uh, saw this on on Twitter. Gave a shout out to Brad Carson in his interview. He, we, uh, I think, twenty four seven Sports interviewed him after he committed. Just talking to him about like, you know, why'd you, why, why'd you commit to Tulsa? What did you like so much about him? And he gave the general answer that you would normally expect of like, you know, I really hit it off with the the coaching staff and felt like I could trust him and I feel like uh, I, I'm well positioned to to play early there, st- stuff like that. Um, he talked about the facilities and and how well those were coming along and the and the new court and all that stuff. Uh, but then he, at the end, he shouts out Brad Carson and says, I love what Brad Carson's doing. I got to talk to him personally. Like how many presidents before are talking to basketball recruits? I would like to think that it's probably zero, maybe some for TU, but uh, I don't know. Maybe Sedman Upham was doing that every now and then. I know he was into athletics. Uh, uh, Gary Clancy, Jerry Clancy. I'm thinking that probably never happened under him. That's an assumption. Maybe it did. Maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. But if I were to guess, that would be my guess. So awesome that Brad Carson got the shout out there and clearly made an impact on this guy and got him to commit, uh, which when you talk to Brad, it makes sense. That guy fires everybody up. So pretty exciting. Got a new center uh, coming in next year. We got a, a long, rangy, small forward style guy in Carlos Williams. And then we, as we mentioned already, got Jared Hall, the number one player out of Tennessee, who had a huge amount of big time offers. So the Concord recruiting trail, recruiting trail on fire uh, so far. And it all happened in like the last week and a half. I think signing day is like tomorrow or something like that. So those will all be formalized, I assume, uh, tomorrow or this week or whenever that day is. But pretty exciting week uh, in the recruiting world. Unfortunately, not as a hot start uh, in actual basketball. So Tulsa had their – we'll start with the men's here. Um, Had their season opener 
on the road in Corvallis, Oregon against Oregon State. And this was Tulsa number 153 preseason in Ken Palm, Oregon State number 224. I think Ken Palm had us winning this game by three, or maybe it was one. It was a close, close projection, uh, and we ended up falling in this one. Uh, in what was a close game, to be fair, but lost it by three. Uh, let me pull up the Ken Palm thing because I don't think they got it right on the money, but I know it was close. Yeah, we – oh, no, wait, no, I can't. How do you see the projection after the fact? Can you not? I think I it was 70 – I'm I pretty sure it was 71 it, to 70. Um, 70 – I thought it was a one point. Yeah, yeah. So if you go to Tulsa, then if you click the Monday, November 7th, date of the game and then you go it shows the prediction Tulsa 72 71 53 percent nice look at that that's awesome yeah so one point prediction they almost got it right on the money here it ended up being 73 to 70 loss unfortunately and I I know you watched the first half Matt you mentioned you watched that one before going to bed and that was the half to watch uh before we I'm going to ask you your thoughts on on that first half but before that uh, I want to just shout out who the starting five were and who who came in pretty early on after that starting five in this game were point guard, Anthony Pritchard, Sam Griffin, taking up the two spot, Tim Dalger, Sterling Gaston Chapman, and Bryant Celebange, who, if you remember, was the sophomore Juco transfer. So those were the guys that started this game. Um, they, we did kind of a, almost a wholesale swap out of like four different players, probably five minutes into it. And those four were Keyshawn Emery Simpson, uh, Nikita Konstantinovsky, Brandon Betson, who was the Chicago State junior transfer, and B.B. Knight, who was the true freshman from Houston. Uh, who He was one of the two that had previously committed to Louisiana Tech and came with Conkle when he came over here, uh, along with Josiah McWright. Uh, so those were the main guys. Charles Chukwu. So I've been saying Charles Chukwu. In the broadcast today, they were saying Charles Chukwu. I don't know how to actually say his last name. So we'll follow up on that, see what happens. He, he came in there later in the game when we were – uh, that lead was slipping away, or maybe we were already down at that point. He only played like three minutes, I think, but he got in there as well. And th- that was everybody. I think we played 10 people total, and that was pretty much it. So uh, before we move on, I uh, wanted to get your thoughts on the first half, Matt. And that was the fun one to watch, like you mentioned. That's when we were, we were up so big early, and it was pretty exciting. So let me, let me hear your take on uh, half number one. Yeah, so I think I was just one – kind of blown away with the speed of it. So if you go, obviously this is a sample size of one. So take it with a grain of salt, but our tempo on Ken Palm is like 71.4, which that would be the highest it has ever been. Um, at least as long as Ken Palm has been tracking. Um, like I said, that's a sample size of one, but I cannot, there are so few games that I can count like on. I probably can't even, counted on one hand the the total number of games that reached that like maybe a couple Memphis games in the Frank Haith era and so <laughs> yeah. that one super yeah. exciting I mean you talk about it I want to say at like the 15 uh, minute mark of so so I guess after with you know first five minutes we went on a 24 and 4 run like yeah. that is insane and I mean obviously you know you're not gonna th- expecting that is kind of um, not necessarily going to be what's happening, but I mean, it just seems like everything was clicking. Like we were rebounding. Sam Griffin was hot. Like we were just making shots, finding guys. And it was like a really exciting game. And even though, 
you know, we apparently lost. I'm still not sure <laughs> if that's true or not. Um, I've got to think as frustrating as the back half was, I hope that it was at least fun to watch still. Um, especially I think narrator comes in. It was not, <laughs> which is a bummer. Um, cause I'm just like, I don't know, maybe on one side it's more frustrating cause you're like, I've seen what the team can be, but then, you know, the pass, uh, the optimist in me says, but like, you know, it's, it's new. We're going to get there. We're going to get to the point where we can sustain it, you know, and it just kind of seems like the size kind of um, led to it. And we just couldn't get boards in the second half. Yeah, uh, that was pretty much it. And y- you mentioned consistency and that is something Conkle has talked about throughout the whole, you know, preseason, basically pr- when practices opened up, we, he has said multiple times, we have shown flashes of doing what he wants Tulsa basketball to be, which you have to assume looked like that first half, right? Fast, playing hard, tons of off-ball movement, taking the open shots that the defense gives you, crashing the offensive glass extremely hard. All of that stuff worked in the first half. We had nine offensive rebounds in the first half. That was That's crazy. I don't I mean, I don't have the numbers in front of me from past years, but that's got to be the most offensive rebounds we've had in a half. It's, I'd be surprised if we ever had that many under Frank Haith. Maybe it happened, but not that I can remember. Forced 11 turnovers in the first half as well. That is just awesome. Everything was going right, right? Sam Griffin splashing three after three. He was started off three for four from the three-point line. Brandon Betson, who a guy we, we talked about in a previous episode, Conkle has mentioned as a guy who would is a likely starter down the road, I think. And I, I wouldn't have been surprised if he started this game. He came off the bench in this one. It's not, it felt like to me, you know, based on who the starters were, we wanted to lean on the previous experience. All the guys, except for Celebange, um, had played for Tulsa before. Uh, and Celebange had, is a sophomore, right? So he had, he played, at least played a year in junior college. And so that's, that's what it felt like it went with. And it was just working like crazy. Brandon Betson was playing insanely well. Uh, I think he also started off like three for four from the three point line. Everything was working. We were causing turnovers. The defense was flying around. And then, you know, so we're up by 16, and it looks really good. And then the second half comes in, and it's it's what you said, Matt. It was Oregon State totally dictated the, the pace of the game in the second half, and it totally threw us off. Our, our fast pace, like aggressive attacking style mentality, which had worked so well in the first half, was pretty much ripped out from under us. And maybe we tried to get that back. I'm sure we did. Uh, but Oregon State offensively, was so effective at, at like actually making some shots in the second half, which let them set up their defense on on the backside and slow things down on both sides of the ball that we weren't able to be this like aggressive, you know, up in your grill all the time team. We had to settle back into a, in a half court offense when we had the ball. And then when they had the ball, they went as slow as hell, giving it down to their monstrous big men down there. And, as good, as happy as I was with some of our big guys and how they played, it's the size just isn't there. And sometimes you can overcome that, and that's what we did in the first half with speed and aggressiveness and, and tenacity. But in the second half, it was just an absolute grind. And they started off making everything, which all of a sudden they went on like a 14-0 run uh, to start the second half, and that made it a two-point game, right? From then on, they just grinded us out. We were not making the shots that we were making in the first half. Uh, primarily, I think they switched heavily from primarily a zone defense in the first half to a man-to-man defense in the second half. And obviously we didn't handle that as well. 
So it was weird. Like they totally changed the style of game that was played. I don't know if we came out in the first half and they were used to the Frank Haith style ball and that's where what they were planning for, like the slow game all game. And we came out just absolutely on fire, flying around, and that caught them off guard. And it took them an entire half to, you know, rebound and, and figure that out. But halftime came and they figured it out. And they were able to slow it down and, and change the pace to what they wanted. And that was the difference in the game. They they totally switched it up on us. The other things were, uh, in my opinion, um, Anthony Pritchard did not have a good game this game, which was disappointing. I, I had a lot of hype coming in for him for this one, and I still do. And I, I still think he will have a great year this season. But, yeah, I mean, you look at his stats in this one, they just – they just weren't very good. Uh, he was five for nine from the, from uh, two points. He was five for twelve from the three point line. He had, uh, or sorry, no, that's a yeah, that's actually pretty good. I'm <laughs> fucking at Sam Griffin, uh, Pritchard, zero for three from three, uh, two for six from two. Here's the killer though: four turnovers from from Pritchard there. That is tough because he's your point guard, man. The offense is going to run through you, and when you're the one bringing the ball up all the time. You know, obviously, when you have the ball more often, you're going to have more opportunity to turn it over. But four turnovers from a single player, that is rough. And the thing was, we turned Oregon State over 19 times in this game. We we destroyed them in terms of total turnovers. But all, like, man, probably five or six of those nine turnovers came in, like, the last eight minutes of the game. And it was just brutal over and over again as the game was really close, coming down to the wire, we made dumb mistakes, and you look at that win chart. I'm looking at Ken Palm here. You've got the, like the win with the win percentage possibility up there, and you know by halftime we're at like 99%. And then Oregon State comes out second half, like I mentioned, that 14-0 run. Immediately it's almost back down to 50. Goes back and forth a little bit, and then Oregon State takes over later in the game, unfortunately. And we had a chance there at the end. Uh, we were down two with the ball and couldn't make it happen. Final possession of the game, we were down three, and Sam Griffin threw up an absolute prayer of a, of a deep three, which he was the guy who should have been taking the shot. He had an amazing game. Him or, him or Brandon Betson probably should have been the one taking it. Uh, and Griffin took it, couldn't hit it, and so we lose by three. But, man, what a absolute – just a grind of a second half that really took the wind out of our first half sales, and that's how that one goes. I do – actually, uh, one more one more note – I did really like uh, the play from Brian Celebange, the, the Juco transfer. He looked really good. I don't know if this is really an apt comparison, but the first thought I had uh, thinking about this was he feels like a combination, uh, a weird maybe weird combination of like Ray Dowu and Josh Early. And I mean this in the way that Ray Dowu was extremely active down low, right? He was fast. He was always playing a hard defense, played with a lot of passion. He didn't have great hands. He lost the ball if he, like somewhat often. Uh, it would just bounce off him. Josh Early, on the other hand, was kind of the opposite of that. He was more of like a soft-spoken, you know, slower guy down low, athletic, um, but had very good hands. But he wasn't like the super active defender that was fast and quick enough to move around down there. I know it was only one game, but it feels to me like Celebange is both active. I know he's, I mean, you look at him down there. I mean, he was moving around like crazy playing with some fire, uh, but also seemed like he has really good hands. We'll have to see some more games to make sure that that is a consistent theme for him. But I was really impressed uh, with Celebange. I know he's not the tallest guy when you're looking at the, you know, a center style position, but he's got some size. He's definitely like a physical bigger guy. 
uh, in terms of like muscle mass and stuff like that. So I, he was effective. I was happy with, with his play and just got to get Pritchard to play a little bit better. Um, got to have, ideally you'd have, uh, SGC Sterling Guess, and Chapman play a little bit better. And then I hate calling him out here, but like Keyshawn Emery Simpson played a horrible game. That was not good. And he was another one that I was kind of hoping would for like the third year in a row, kind of been hoping that he has a breakout year and, and shows what he's got, but this was not a hot start for him. And he could still, he could still come in. He got a, a good amount of minutes here. We'll see if that continues, but I was hoping for more from him for sure. Cool. Uh, we'll do a quick preview on men's basketball. Uh, we really only have one game uh, this week, but I'll mention the the more exciting tournament that's coming up as well. And that is the home opener. And that is on the 12th uh, Saturday, this coming Saturday at two o'clock PM central time. Uh, that is versus Jackson State, who is Ken Palm number 317. So we sure as hell better win that one. I know we just lost to a team that is in the 200s. So, you know, I mean, you never know. Uh, but uh, ideally, this will be a win to open up the home season. You got the brand new basketball court. You got the new uh, – I know you you saw this too, Matt. Uh, did So I, w- I was going to mention the like the student section. It's new. It's in a rel- kind of new location. It's, it's kind of close to where it was before, I think. But it's like uh, it's like a wooden – edifice uh, like a tiered structure yeah, that you can stand on it's like a platform yeah because uh, they called it so the broadcast for the women's game um called it the student zone as opposed to the student section because <laughs> okay. it looks like it's a standing room area directly behind the basket where you know we kind of the student section was a little but bit it's on the behind. same okay so it is on the same side of the yes. of the court as the previous student section yep it's behind that basket just below the uh president's like box up there yeah okay cool yeah i mean it looked really cool like you saw it on tv it was just like uh unfinished wooden structure (laughs) that they showed uh during the women's game but uh yeah i'm excited to see what that looks like and hopefully i know it's just jackson state but it's the home opener with a new coach and a new team sucks that we're coming off a loss it's like freaking football season man you gotta start off the season with a home game so you don't have the potential for coming off a loss here but i think the the new regime and the new energy and the kind of half we started and opened with uh against oregon state will ideally still bring out pack out that that first student section because now it's there like you know what the student section is it's its own structure like if that's not full it's obvious all right it's like before we knew as Tulsa fans where the student section was and we could look for it and see how busy it is during the game. Your average fan watching the game, meh, maybe not going to know that's where the student section is supposed to be. Maybe it's somewhere else. Maybe you can't see it on TV. Now it is on the floor basically. And it's a, its own thing. So you're definitely going to know all the time what that is. And if people are at these games, so I'm sure that's a on purpose decision, like put some pressure on the students to come out there and not embarrass the team. Uh, so we'll see, we'll see if they can actually do that, uh, against Jackson state. I think they will. I think people are psyched about the season. Um, I don't think anybody, you know, expected us to go to the NCAA tournament this year or anything like that. So dropping one to Oregon state is not a, not a huge deal. Um, so I'm excited, man. I think it's going to be a good one. Uh, the only other thing coming up is the, and we'll talk about this next week as well, but wanted to briefly mention it here. Um, it starts on the 17th, uh, which what day is that? November 17th is next Thursday. So yeah, we'll definitely have a chance to talk about it beforehand. Uh, but that is the Myrtle beach invitational. Uh, the first game will be Tulsa at Loyola Chicago. Unfortunately, who is a very good team. They're number 58 in Ken Palm. Uh, and that's on Thursday, November 17th at 8 30 PM central time. 
and the winner will play, you know, it's a tournament style thing. So whoever wins the opposing game, we will play. Uh, the other teams in this tournament are Colorado playing UMass, Murray State playing Texas A&M, and Boise State playing Charlotte. We will play the winner or loser of Boise State and Charlotte uh, the next night, depending on, you know, how we do against Loyola Chicago. So we will talk about that more uh, next week and break down Loyola Chicago a little bit as we go into that game. But the only real preview for this one, uh, for this week, for the men, is the home opener, like we said, against Jackson State on Saturday at 2 p.m. Cool. Uh, all right, let's move into women's basketball here. Um, I'm going to defer to you a little bit on this because I, I, I only caught the second half of this game. So how about you start us off on the women's game? I know it was a hell of a game. Uh, but, uh, it break it down for me. How did this, did it, did it start off like obviously dominant from the Tulsa side or did that happen later? Yeah. So no, it started, it was dominant from the get go. So you look at like first period. Um, I mean, we made nine shots. Six of those were threes, um, <laughs> in the first alone. And so it, it started out hot. It ended hot. The middle was hot. Like, they just kind of walked over uh, Alcorn State. And, like, one of the things that sticks out to me is, like, so player of the game, in my opinion, was Tamira Poindexter. Um, I said it on Twitter, and I'm kind of, like, doubling down. Legitimate shot of being the conference player of the year, in my mind. Um, she had yeah. 16, 16 points on only 23 minutes. Um, nice. And she had so few minutes because we were ahead so much that – uh, coach Nelp was able to put in a lot of the freshmen. Uh, we saw a lot of the freshmen. We saw a lot of the transfers like, and one thing that was really cool is that they all played as if they had been playing together before. Like it did not look like it was a bunch of new pieces trying to fit into a puzzle. It was a team that was clicking, uh, was just kind of like passing the ball around the first 17 baskets all had assists. Yeah, um, I heard on, about that. That is absolutely ridiculous. Oh yeah, my gosh. it was. I mean, they kept making a point of it, and then it was like one layup finally um, <laughs> kind of took it away. And then it was after that, I think there were only two total um, plays. Let me look. So we had 22 assists and 27 field goals. So <laughs> five amazing. baskets were not assisted in this game. Nice. Um, and that's like a lot of quick breaks. It's the same sort of style that we saw last year. Um, this team is one that is going to go fast, and they're going to take advantage of you know turnovers, whether that be you know steals or just getting um, you know blocks or anything like that. And they're just going to go down the court, and if you give them a shot, they're just going to take it. Um, and it's not going to be the person who has the ball necessarily. It's going to be Delaney Crawford hitting to Myra Poindexter, who whips it out to Maddie Biddle, who sinks a three or Poindexter is going to be at the three and just sink it as well. I mean, there was a single, um, well, not a single, but like three different possessions. Myra Poindexter, two-point basket, comes back, blocks a shot, goes down the court, hits a three. Like, nice. you look at that, that is a seven-point swing that is purely just because of her. Um, and so on top of that, I think we kind of talked about this with the big one being uh, Caitlin Levings, but just all in all, this team is 
looks to be a better rebounding team. And in terms of just overall size, it maybe I just wasn't familiar with it or just like couldn't really tell. I can tell Levings is 6'3 compared to the rest of the team. Like <laughs> yeah. she is definitely the tallest person for the Golden Hurricane on the court. Like I think the next highest, next tallest is only 6'2. Um, we have a 6'3 freshman, uh, but she only played six minutes, and that is uh, Chloe, Chloe Williams. Williams. Yeah, and she looked good too. I, so she got in. She was kind of playing the last uh, five or six minutes of the game, I'm pretty sure, is when she played because uh, that was mostly freshmen. So if you saw like Le- Lexi Fouch, Chloe yeah. Williams, Hadley uh, Perriman, um, as well as like Carolyn Lyles got a decent amount of time. Um, I think she had like 14 minutes. Then you had a couple – uh, Cam Matthews had 13. Um, yeah. And so I think nobody had more than 23 minutes in this game, Yeah, which is just kind of yeah. crazy. Cause last year, I think towards the end of the year, at least you're seeing like our starting five was getting 39, 38 minutes. Right. Yeah. I mean, and it makes sense in this one because we were up by you know, 50. I don't know if we said the final score. It was 82 to 33. So 49 point win. Got to assume, maybe this wasn't the case. Uh, I would assume that the freshman came in after we were up by like 30 or something and maybe a late first half, early second half or something. Uh, so that's, I'm sure that's why that happened. I, I'm, I would guarantee almost that as we get into the conference play and competition ramps up significantly, uh, that we'll see more like, more like that uh, as we go on. But yeah, no, I, I think I thought it was great that we had so many players play in this one, especially when we have, you know, we have seven newcomers on this team, five freshmen, two transfers. And the biggest one that jumped out to me, you already mentioned her, Caitlin Levings. Uh, she's the 6'3 junior transfer, came from Arizona State, which is where Angie Nelp came from. And so there's there's a relationship there already. Uh, but you look at her stat line, nine points. Yeah, that, that's pretty solid. But 10 rebounds, four offensive, right? Six defensive rebounds also. And that is what we so badly needed last year. And so, yeah, we brought in all these freshmen, but even if you get a big freshman like Chloe Williams, they're freshmen, right? They, they take some time to come into their own. You've got a junior transfer from a power five school, the same school that your coach came from in Arizona state. Caitlin Levings comes in, she can have an immediate impact. And that's what we talked about in the season preview last week was if Caitlin Levings lives up to what it seems like she can be, which is a 6'3 big bruiser who can get these rebounds for us, that changes the possibilities for this team. Because while we have, and we know we have, extremely talented guard play, we the, the whole story of last season was how undersized we were. As every fan was asking the question, what, what's it going to look like next year? What's it like on the recruiting trail? And yeah, we got some, you know, we got some height that are really young, but in addition to that, we pulled the 6'3 junior transfer who's played two, two full seasons for Arizona State. So that makes a huge impact, and I think she she is the reason that I think we can compete for the conference championship this year, or at least the, she's the X factor because we knew what we had in Maddie Biddle, Maya Mayberry, and Tamira Poindexter. Now we've got this 6'3 forward we can count on too. Yeah, and she followed Nope. Like Nope recruited her to Arizona State, and then when she went in the portal, recruited her to Tulsa. Like, <laughs> yeah, perfect. Definitely, uh, I would say a good like sign there. Strong relationship, and obviously, like these players who have played in the past want to keep playing. For sure. Yep, couldn't agree more. 
Uh, in terms of preview, it looks like we've got two-ish coming up this week. We've got one that's uh, – yeah, yeah, we got two basically. We might get to the – the for, the game on the 14th if we record on Sunday, but we'll cover we'll just touch on both of them here. Uh, the first one is second home game in a row. That is San Jose State on Thursday the 10th at 6:30 p.m. And then uh, the other one, which we may or may not talk about before our next episode comes out, that is a big one. That is on the road at Arkansas on Monday the 14th. That is at 7 o'clock p.m. Uh, not sure how either of those teams did in their week one games. Um, I can pull that up real quick, though, unless you're already doing it, Matt. Yeah, so Arkansas won their first game. Um, they played at Arkansas Pine Bluff, beat them by 20. Nice. Um, and then... I just pulled up San Jose State. Uh, okay. that, they actually haven't played a regular season game yet. They, all they've done is uh, an exhibition, and they won by almost 40 <laughs> uh, against Cal State Monterey Bay. So at Tulsa is their first real game. So we'll see how they are. Uh, I know Alcorn State last season, I looked at their record a couple days ago. I didn't write it down. It was like 3-25. Three and, three and 25. <laughs> So Al- Alcorn State, obviously not a great team. We just beat them by almost 50 points. Uh, so I don't know if San Jose State, I mean, they're obviously, you know, they're in the Mountain West. They have a bigger program than Alcorn State, I'm sure. So maybe that'll be more of a test. Uh, I'm sure it will be. And then obviously you got Arkansas on the road. So that, that's the first guaranteed tough test on the road uh, for this team. Cool. Uh, anything else on men's or women's basketball that we didn't talk about uh, that you wanted to you wanted to cover here? We really only have one more main thing and then some other sports uh, that I wanted to you know, check off before we move on. Yeah, I don't think so. I think that's everything on, on my side. Cool. Um, yeah. So I want to do a real, this will be really fast and around the American for basketball. Uh, most teams actually ECU played tonight as we speak. I don't know how that game went. Um, but I have everything else because almost, I think every other team in the conference played yesterday, uh, the same day that we did on Monday. Uh, and it was, it was not great. Not a great series uh, uh, or a sequence of American Conference teams. It was mostly fine al- among your, like, good teams. A uh, little side tangent here. There were zero fun games. The, probably the most fun game across all of college football or college basketball this year uh, to open the season was a Memphis game. That was Memphis playing Vanderbilt. And that was, like, the headliner for, for day one. And that is not that fun of a game. Neither of them are, like, top 25 teams, anything like that. That was just, like – two relative power conference teams if you include the american as a power conference which generally people do uh but generally they will not after houston cincinnati and ucf all leave um that was really the only good one all these games are absolute snoozers and we still managed to lose three of them so here we go uh from worst to best uh of these losses none of them are good number 171 south florida came in pretty sure it's brian gregory's fourth year uh Nobody really thinks he's doing great. Very surprised he's still the coach there. We'll see if that continues for the rest of the season. They play number 310 in Ken Palm, Southeast Missouri State at home. All these games are at home, keep in mind, and lost. Not a good game. They also almost lost their exhibition game to the University of Tampa. Uh, they only won that one by five, and they were losing at halftime. So South Florida off to a uh, maybe an expected tough start, but that is not as – that is a worse start than anybody I think could have possibly imagined. Nobody thought they would lose to Southeast Missouri State at home to open the year. So Brian Gregory, his seat was already extremely hot. I would be so surprised if he is still the head coach of the Bulls by the end of the year. Uh, moving on, 
number 93 Temple, picked fifth in the American this season, fourth year for Aaron McKee, a coach that people generally like over there. They got some preseason hype as a potential sleeper in the American this year. There's some talent. Khalif Battle on that team is really good. They lose to number 282 in Ken Palm, Wagner, in overtime. So they drop that one. Those were some of the relatively earlier games uh, of yesterday. And then you've got UCF, uh, who I think was picked to finish fourth. Or maybe, no, it was fifth. They were right after Temple, I believe, uh, in this game. And they were playing, I think it was number, let me let me pull it up. I'm pretty sure it was number 187. Uh, yes, 187 UNC Asheville at home. And I think that game went to two overtimes, uh, but they lost it still, even after all that. So two of your average teams lose to some of the worst teams in college basketball, and your arguably worst or second-to-worst team loses to number 310 Southeast Missouri State. Not great, uh, obviously, for the American. Everybody else, you know, won their game, you know, quote-unquote took care of business, uh, but there were definitely some scares. Like Tulane ended up winning by like 14 or 20 or something, but it was close. Like with four minutes left in that game, it was a close game. And they were playing number 267, UMBC. So tough start. I mean, they, they ended up winning uh, comfortably, but tough uh, beginning of that game. It was close most of the game. Um, I mentioned Memphis Vanderbilt. Memphis won. That's a good win for them. Vanderbilt was number 66 in Ken Palm. They won by nine uh, on the road. I'm pretty sure that was in Nashville against Vanderbilt. TRA win for them. So easily the best win of game one uh, across, I think, all of college football. I think that was the best game of the opening day. And then you look at your top dog in the conference, Houston. They're number seven uh, in Ken Palm going in. They played number 196, Northern Colorado. And unsurprisingly, they won that game by almost 50 points, just like our women's team. Final score, 83 to 36 uh, of that one. So Houston, as we mentioned before, and as everyone probably knows, the easy favorite to win the conference this year. They have a legitimate uh, Final Four slash championship contending roster. Talked about it last week or two weeks ago. Um, the Ion College Basketball Podcast with Gary Parrish and Matt Norlander called their roster this season potentially the best Houston roster of all time, going back to the 80s and Fi Slam and Jamma and all that stuff. So they're loaded. Calvin Sampson's still there. Uh, they're going to win the league. I would be so surprised if they did not. Um, so, yeah, there you go. They, they start off their season as they expected. Uh, the other little funny tidbit, not American, Oklahoma, uh, OU, lost their season opener. They played number 160 Sam Houston State. First year? Second year? I can't remember. Porter Moser, their new basketball coach there. I can't remember. I'm, this might be his second year. I think he was there last year too. But uh, lost their their season opener to number 160 Sam Houston State by one, 52 to 51, lowest scorer over there. Uh, so just wanted to make a little joke at, at, at the expense of the Sooners. They're going to love the SEC, guaranteed. Actually, they're going to a worse basketball conference. Big 12 is uh, – they're going to get shellacked in the Big 12 probably this year because, man, the Big 12 is absolutely loaded and will continue to be th- for the foreseeable future. Uh, so maybe they'll be more successful in basketball, but they are probably not going to be as successful in football. Okay, uh, that is all for American basketball to start off the year. Uh, really only a couple other sports uh, to talk to briefly, and let's start with men's soccer, which is unfortunately um, a bit of a downer. They – End of the season, Matt. Did you did you watch any of this game? Can you talk about any of this? Uh, I didn't watch it. I, I saw the results, but yeah, the Memphis. The uh, so we lost last week um, in our regular season finale, but still were able to earn the home um, matchup against Memphis. Uh, it was a four four v five seed. 
for the uh, conference tournament. Yeah, for the first round of the conference tournament. And that was Sunday night. Uh, and so the 20-minute mark, we scored first. And it was Alex Minard. Uh, got his ninth goal this season. Not like definitely best player on the team. Uh, just after halftime, 49-minute. I don't know if they call that the 49 or the 50-minute mark. Memphis tied it um, on a penalty kick. Oh. And then game remained tied until overtime. And so soccer overtime is not golden goal. You play two periods, and if it's still tied after that, I believe they would have gone to penalty kicks, um, which I'll just say, side note, I hate. Um, but <laughs> which, part, which part of that do you hate? The penalty kicks. Oh, why? That feels like it's fun. Yeah, but I mean, to me, it's the same. I don't like the shootout in hockey because it's like you're deciding a winner-take-all based on a, something that's like different from the rest of the game. It just feels like it's kind of its own little thing. Um, that's fair i suppose as a fan i feel like it's kind of fun to watch but no i, I see what you're saying and like football it's like it never like yeah overtime becomes diff but the rules aren't really any different you're just playing with a smaller field kind of thing i don't know i just you mean when it goes to the two-point conversion shoot yeah outside? like it it's not like that's still i don't know that's definitely different <laughs> i feel like that's kind of the same as penalty kicks i i feel like it's not quite as it's not the same because you yeah. still have to score the touchdown first to get the, t or uh, maybe, I don't know. Anyway, I guess the equivalent would be like, if you're going, if it's just like two on two and it's like a quarterback and a receiver versus two DBs or something, you know, and it's like, you gotta, it's yeah. just, it's just, I, those I, two I envision there. it to basketball. It being in, in overtime, they just change it to where it's a one V one, like, but then it's not even, it's like horse. You're just playing horse with your two best shooters. <laughs> yeah. That's what I envision it. Anyways, yeah, I've gone right. on a tangent. That's <laughs> fun. Yeah, so overtime, um, at the very end of the first period, in the 99th minute, uh, Memphis scored. Oh. But um, this is actually the first year they don't have golden goal in the American. So they played the last 88 seconds of that, and then we had 10 minutes to score, or our season was potentially over. I'm not really sure at that point. Unfortunately, we could not get that win, and Memphis pulled it off. Um, and so... Super frustrating because this is a team like we are a top 25 team that just had kind of like un I don't know, I don't want to say unacceptable, but like questionable losses. Not yeah. in that I'm not saying like put an asterisk on it or anything, but like games we should have won. Like we yeah, should, totally. we're better than SMU, we're better than Memphis. Um, and these are games like that we just kind of dropped, dropped the ball. Um which is just super frustrating compared to last year coming into this. I feel like we had a lot of key pieces returning. You know, Minard came back, um, Malik Henry Scott, you know, both coming back from injuries. They yep. were our two best players last year. And then, you know, we kind of fall pretty far short. I mean, I don't know when the – it's not going to be for another week or so as far as, like, the selection for the um, – you know, who's in the NCAA tournament, but I don't know if we make it at this point, like these last two losses, I don't know how much yeah. they end up dropping our FBI rank um, and whether or not we get an auto or get a like um, at large bid or not. Yeah. I, w I was looking this up a little bit before we started today and yeah, I mean, dropping the last two games in a row sucks. That is not going to help. Right. 
So just for some clarity uh, on the conference tournament, the one seed is Florida International. Two seed was actually SMU, so they must have come on really strong at the end. Obviously, they got the win over us two games ago. Three seed, th- South Florida. And then I uh, don't know who the four seed was. Looks like we were. The oh, that was seed. us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Um, yeah, so Florida International and SMU got the buys. So Memphis will now play Florida International and South Florida beat Charlotte. And so they're, they're moving on. So we drop our last two. The selection show for uh, the Men's College Cup, which is the equivalent of the NCAA tournament for basketball, is November 14th, which is what day? Today is the 8th. The 14th is Monday. Uh, so there you have it. Monday will be the selection show. The first round of the tournament is on the 17th, just a few days later. I did try to look up some bracketology, right? For like, you know, it's such a hot topic in basketball, but does it exist for soccer? It does in one article. I found one bracketology article uh, that came out uh, just like three days ago or four days ago. And that does not account for our most recent loss. So um, TBD, if that changes, if a new update to this comes out, the bracketology thing I saw did predict us in the tournament uh, against UC Santa Barbara in the first round. And had we should we win that game playing the number one seed Washington in the second round? Obviously that is predictions, no idea. Um, but the only bracketology I could find did have us in. Does the Memphis, the loss of the fifth seed in the first round of the conference tournament knock us out of there? I mean, not unlikely. I, I, I don't know. I don't know enough about the other schools that we're competing with here to try to make it in the tournament, but that, that, that sucks. You know, Tulsa ended up five and three in conference you know, if you count the conference tournament loss, which, you know, doesn't really count for conference loss, uh, it's a tournament loss, but five and four and you will, you lose your last two to go in that I, honestly, it sounds kind of surprising to me if we made it. In. I know we had a good overall record. I think it was nine and three or something like that. Um, and we were ranked for a large part of this year and we might've been ranked to end the season even. Um, and if that's the case, then we probably will get in, but man, dropping these last two in a row definitely doesn't help your chances. Cool. Uh, okay, so let's cover the rest of women's soccer. Don't have to. We talked about them last week. Their their season's unfortunately over. They did not the they didn't make the conference tournament. Top six seeds make it. They finished seventh in the American. So so they are done. Uh, Matt, I see for women's volleyball, you've got a note in here that says only half sad. So I assume that means they won one game and lost another one or something. Yeah. So they split the uh, their week. They got the three one win over Temple. Uh, and then dropped a 3-1 set to ECU. So uh, I think I feel like that's What's better. What's the overall sitting at right now? Yeah, I was going to say, like, I feel like that's better than it's been in the last couple of weeks because I feel like the last few weeks have just been, oh, like, 0-2, yeah. 0-2. Totally. Uh, so they are 11-14 and 14 now overall. Yeah, that Temple win snapped a three-game losing streak. Okay. Um, but we have lost um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. <laughs> We've lost nine out of our last eleven. Oh, oh which hurt, which man! Hurts. Yeah, that does. That is rough. Jeez. Okay. So, still, I mean, st- there's still a lot of season left, so they can turn it around. We're playing Tulane. Tulane was our most recent win prior to Temple. Uh, we beat them 3-0 in New Orleans earlier this season. We will be uh, hosting them on Sunday. But before that, because I didn't scroll up or, uh, enough, we host 23 Houston, which ah, good. 
based on everything that I've seen is going to be rough. Um, but I think we can split this one. So, you know, we go, we split this one. We're 12 and 15 with four matches after that. Still a chance to, you know, win out, go above that, go above 500, but we lost to all the teams that we are playing. <laughs> you're not giving me much confidence I, here with uh, how you're explaining this. <laughs> I, I don't know if I was intending to give confidence or just be like pragmatic. Yes. So I, that, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Uh, nothing else really like cross country regular season is done. We talked about the, the, the conference championships that we swept once again uh, for men's and women's last week. Um, the next thing up doesn't start till Friday, the 11th. And that is the NCAA tournament. The regionals start on Friday and then the NCAA championships on the next Saturday, the 19th. So we will have those updates for you next week. Um, I guess just for some context, I know we talked about it before, but, uh, the regionals are in Columbia, Missouri, home of the Missouri Tigers and the NCAA championships are in Stillwater, Oklahoma. So we'll be close to home here. Um, going up to cowboy land, uh, for, for those. So, Exciting stuff coming up, uh, and we will have more info on that next week. And then women's golf, I don't think, had anything else really either, right? There is nothing, no news on the women's golf world? Nope. Their, uh, their season, their fall portion of their season ended, and I think okay. we talked about that last week. Yeah, that sounds familiar. So they're done done for the year. Well, so they'll, they'll, they'll pick start up again, up again in yeah. February. Right. Okay, that makes sense. Cool. Okay. Uh, anything else? Before we go, are you you good to call it here? Yeah, uh, I'm just realizing like I never even talked about like Monty Watch or anything like that. But we'll leave that for another for next week maybe. I feel like Monty Watch has to begin if and when we are eliminated from bowl contention, which there is a serious chance of that. Obviously, I mean we talked about Memphis. I feel like that's going to be a close game. Could go either way. And in, in my legitimate opinion, I think it it could we could win it. We could lose it. If we lose it. Monty Watch is on high alert, right? If we win it, it still maybe is, but not as much. So I think next week next week has the real first possibility of getting into some some legitimate Monty Watch talk. Yeah. Uh just as a so on that Excel sheet, I, I did throw it together. Um well I don't remember who was around the American or something. But there are two schools in the American since Montgomery has joined that have not fired a coach. There are three schools that have not fired a coach. One of them is Tulsa. Can you name the other two? So, well, since Monty's been here, that would mean there were two people in the conference that have been here. Long- oh, I know who it is. Uh, well, wait, who said Neo Matalolo was one? Can I name the other two? Was that the question? Well, so Neo Matalolo and Montgomery. Oh, Montgomery. So oh, the third maybe. one is Willie Fritz. Uh, so I guess my question is more like what school hasn't fired a coach since Monty's joined Fritz came see the year after the year yeah. after Monty. So they've Tulane fired Johnson after Damn, Monty's I forgot that first guy year. even existed. Yeah, that's yeah. a good one. Okay. So the question is what schools haven't fired a coach since Montgomery came in. So there's another there's one. There's one school that has not fired a coach. Oh, so they left for a, a power five or something. Um, who was SMU's coach before Sonny Dykes? Can't remember. Is okay. it SMU? Yep. yep, you're right. There are two. I totally am missing that. SMU is one of them. Good okay. call. I missed that one. Uh, Memphis. Yeah. 
money. Let's look at that. Awesome. I feel good. I got them. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Memphis, Las Puente, and Norvell. Yeah, nice. Okay. And then SMU. I can't remember. Do you have it up? Who who was the coach before Sonny? I know I should know this. Chad Morris. Chad Morris. Oh, God, yeah, what a disaster. Arcan- he yeah. He, <laughs> they dodged a bullet by uh, by probably losing him early. Uh, that's funny. Okay. Uh, yeah, no, good stuff. That's good. So it was Nimatololo, um, Fritz. No, he doesn't count. Uh, SMU and Memphis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nice. Cool. Uh, yeah, that's fine. Good one to end it on. All right. Uh, I think we'll call it there. Thank you, everybody, for listening once again. Uh, make sure you are, if you're not already, um, following the show wherever you do listen to podcasts. We are everywhere. We're on Apple. We're on Google. We're on Spotify, all that stuff. So hit the follow button or subscribe if that's still what they call it in your podcast player of choice. Uh, drop us a rating or review while you're over there. Uh, would really appreciate it, especially a written review would be fantastic. Uh, if you'd like to support us, you can do that. Uh, go to our website, thegoldenhurricast.com slash support. You'll find four different ways over there that you can help us out monetarily if you're so inclined. Um, and finally, you can find us on Twitter at goldenhurricast, all one word. Uh, and if you want to, you can send us an email as well. And that email address is thegoldenhurricast at gmail.com. Thank you very much once again for listening, everybody. And we will talk to you next week. Stay golden.